Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Playart Repertory Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Sarah Lena Sparks. Hello! And today, we're going to read The Hollywood Story by Chris Eli Black. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yay, Chris! And then, as always, to start off, we're going to be playing a magnet to your computer so we can get to know Chris a little bit more. I hope you're ready for these questions we have prepared for you. Chris, are you ready? Absolutely not. Let's do it. All right. (laughs) All right. And the time is starting. I forgot where it goes. And the clock is ticking. And the time is about. Okay. Lift off and the clock has started. Question number one. What would the theme be of your dream childhood bedroom? Oh, my God. Disney. No doubt. If you could turn any movie into a musical, what would it be? Oh, I hate you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. There's so many. Um, um, any movie, ah, they already made that into a movie. I was going to say almost famous, but they made that into a movie. I mean, into a musical last year. Uh, oh, they also made back to the future into a musical. Oh, are they still working on that? I I heard about that. Is it open open? in London? Well, it was. (laughs) was. Soon to be real, maybe. I would... I'm just going to throw something out. I would make E.T. the musical. Ooh, that's cool. my puppet dad's work. favorite movie. We watch it every... Yeah, Puppet Work. Puppet Work needs to be so many movie musicals. I have a dream of making Moana into a musical, but only using like puppet oh, stuff. Oh, that would be a good one. And to be like the ocean. So I am a big fan of Puppet Work. Okay, question number three. If you could only see one color for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Now, I was thinking, like, you know the giver when he finally sees the color red and he can only see red objects? Right, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you can only see the objects in color that are this color. Ooh. Pink. That'd be fun. <sighs> I love a pink. Okay. Um, you can travel anywhere in the world. Where would you go? Whatever place does not have COVID. <laughs> New, yep. Zealand. New Zealand. New <laughs> Zealand. <laughs> I'd want to go to New Zealand. New Zealand, uh, the county where Mitchell and I live has 12 times more cases than the country of Germany. So, you know, that's so cute. Um, you can erase one song from existence. What would it be? Oh, my God. Do you guys remember like 10 years ago, seven years ago? It was that Friday song. Um, that girl went to our school went to did, our high she school almost, she almost went to our high school I thought she went every, there for like a year and there then was people a made fun of her so then no, she no, she oh. was going to and everyone's like no way get her far away which is totally terrible of people but, yeah yeah, it's pretty bad okay do you think 6th grade should be in middle school or elementary school I don't think 6th grade should exist at all that was the worst year of my school it's career with 6th grade yeah so just cancel it all right no more 6th grade everybody can just grade. go to a void for a year uh <laughs> dark side or light side of the force dark side all right they have better clothes they their their fashion sense is a lot better uh what's one unknown talent or skill of yours Oh, this is a problematic question because if I have any skill, I make sure to put it in front of people at any chance I get. Um, uh, are you my, like particularly good at organizing things? Are you, I don't know, give us a weird thing. 
I am really, really good at when someone tells me their names, my mind automatically finds rhymes for that name. So as soon as I saw Mitchell, I was thinking, okay, how can I twist Mitchell into something else? Like Mitchell, will you? And it's like little things or Sarah, I'll pair you with a few pairs, then we'll, you know, something stare. And that's just, cool. my mind that's works really, cool. really backwards. That's you cool. You should be a lyricist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> if you could be any age for the rest of your life, what age would it be? I'd be 16. Cause that's like right in between adulthood and childhood. Mm-hmm. You can still mess up and people still think it's kind of okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, our classic question, Bambi's dad or Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> Hercules. All right. All right. So I, I, I always mean to keep a tally of how many we have and then I always forget. So I think we have more Hercules then Bambi's dad, or we might have more Bambi's dad. I think we have Hercules. more Bambi's dad, but, but I think we have more it's, it's Bambi's starting to get, dad. It's starting to get more equal. It's evening up a it's little evening bit. evening up. Yeah. The race is All tightened. right. And then <laughs> that was a little bit more about Chris, and now we're going to move on to the reading of the play. All right, so now we're going to go on to the uh, reading. I'm going to read off the cast, and then they're going to say, you know, quick, well, hello. So first off in the role of Andrew is Nick Ruano. Hi. Nick is and new to the pod. Nick Welcome, is new to the Nick. podcast. In the role of Sarah is Bella Arnold. Hi. Classic Bella. <laughs> In the role of Hudson is Ben Suskind. Hey, everyone. Our PRP all-star. Today, we realized that Ben has been in every reading that we've done so far. <laughs> that was, yeah. We, did not, we didn't even realize it. He was in every single mm-hmm. one. And I'll be reading Stage Directions. So that's our cast. Well, let's get started with The Hollywood Story. Scene one. A small apartment in San Antonio, Texas. It can barely be called that. It's a one-room hole. There's a couch sitting center, a mini fridge to the right, and a mattress to the floor, to the left of the couch. There are a stack of scripts rising on the floor next to old magazines and past due bill envelopes. There's a figure hidden under a sheet, more of a soft lump than a person. The body occasionally shifts back and forth in slumber. Sitting on the floor under a cheap blanket is Andrew. His light is lit by the glare of his laptop. He types diligently, his face straight and concentrated. He punches one last key, then throws his hands up in satisfaction. A smile forms. Yes. Sarah enters, climbing over the tight mess that is her home. She wears her waitress uniform and a paper crown that is too small for her head, and her hair is a stringy mess. She drops her purse. The figure under the sheet shuffles, but doesn't reveal itself. Sarah, thank God you're here. I think I did it. Did what? I think I wrote the perfect scene. Good for you. Run it over with me. She throws herself on the couch and stretches out. Maybe later. No, not later. We got to go over this now. This is it. I think this is the best thing I've ever written. The one that's going to get us the hell out of here. You said that about the last script and the one before that. I know. And I'm pretty sure the one before that. That was child's play, Sarah. You've got to believe me. This right here is it. Everything before this was practice. Throwaway work. 
Fine. Let me see it. Yes. Thank you. He hands her the laptop. She looks it over. Can you rub my feet? What does that have to do with my script? Absolutely nothing. But my feet are killing me. Whoever said that waitresses who make $2 an hour should have to wear the most uncomfortable pieces of clothing? She kicks off her shoes. Just read it. Fine. She takes a moment, darting her eyes over the text. Not bad. That's it? Is that such a bad thing? I thought it was a great scene. It's a good scene and a good script. That's good. But it's not good enough. It's never gonna be good enough. It's a first draft. Chill out. Chill. Did you see what Kyle Lee put on his Instagram? Did you see his post? No, Andrew. I have a job. Do we have anything to drink? I don't know. Water? I'm thinking something much more stronger than water. Like Sprite? Like Smirnoff? Like I was saying... I guess that's a no. He posts this video that he calls a short film, but that's really nothing but five minutes of absolute bull. It's like a YouTube video. Ridiculous. So... So it got 200 likes. I repeat, so? 200. That's not 2 million. No, it's 200 in internet likes. That's a whole different number system. 200 means that people see you. It means that you've been noticed. Or it means that 200 people know you. 200 is just a start. This guy doesn't even have a thousand followers. That's attention. You remember when I won that writing competition? The Langland Grant? Yeah, I won $500 and a weekend in California for that. Shook hands with some real heavy hitters out there too. You know it? I know. I posted that and you know how many likes I got? Do you? Is this rhetorical? 50, 50. And I have almost 2,000 followers. At least 20 of those are cam girls. I've checked. Why don't I have that Kyle Lee luck? I've done my hours. You work part-time at a car wash. And then I come home every night and don't sleep. I slave over that laptop, writing and rewriting and trying again, submitting and submitting and trying to make a connection. And it seems like I'm one step closer to opening the door to the rest of my life. Then I wake up and I'm still living here. I am a great writer, a good one, at least. That's not arrogance, that's just the truth. Just like you're a good actress. Every community theater critic agrees. So why are we here and not getting 200 likes on something that we actually put our lives into? I've seen unemployed people get 2,000 likes on pictures of their puppies. It's not a system. There's no way to figure it out. Some people get it, others don't. I'm tired of it, sick of it. I'm a grown man with no money and you're- A grown woman with $2 an hour? That's not what I meant. That's never what they mean. Listen, Andy, I agree with you 5,000%. This isn't the golden days, bud. There ain't a golden ticket, chance of a lifetime, celebrity, lottery, it girl or guy. That's the Hollywood story that we're too late to live in. None of it even matters anymore. I'm not even sure that talent means anything anymore. Trust me, I'm on the same boat as you. I wish I could wake up differently as someone new in some Los Angeles mansion or New York penthouse with a purse dog and a doorman. I want acceptance, love, truth, not hurt, not flipping burgers and serving plates of fries to old men with roaming eyes. It's crazy. 
And I hate it. I hate it. And I hate myself for wanting it so bad for craving whatever it is. We're not doing anything wrong. We're just not right. I should go. I have work. Why do they pay people to wash cars when there's automatic car washes? They don't. That's why I'm still here. Out from under the sheet on the mattress rises Hudson. He rubs his eyes. What are you two going on about? Nothing important. No, it's too early for that. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. Where are you going? Work. See you guys later. He exits. Ugh, I need to get go get changed. Did you just get home? I have an audition. Something real? Are there fake ones? He stands up and stretches. He's the most fit out of all of them, but also the shaggiest. I, I just meant... What I'm saying is... Is it something that actually pays? No. It's a community production of a streetcar named Desire. That's a good one, right? A classic. Who are you auditioning for? Blanche. The Lee. Oh, um, well, that's all you had to say. I'm sure you'll get it. We'll see. What are you up to today? I I have a shift to do down at the gym later, and then I'll probably apply for some jobs. Sounds like a day. Dress or jeans? Dress with jeans. You were always a smarty. I know it. Sarah disappears into another space off stage. Hudson opens the mini fridge. It's empty. He closes it with a sigh and then goes to the stack of scripts and picks one up. He opens it and skims the first page. Sarah walks back out wearing a blouse and jeans. She walks and applies makeup at the same time, rushing. I gotta go. Why the rush? My Uber's outside waiting. I guess he was right around the corner. Uh, do you need anything while I'm out? No, I'll be all right. Focus on your audition. Good luck. You got this. Hope so. With a smile, she heads out. Hudson looks back down at the script and then over at the mattress. He throws the sheets around before finding his cell phone. He puts it to his ear. Hey, it's me. I know we haven't talked and things are weird between us, but I just thought you should know I've been thinking about you. Hopefully you'll pick up next time. Love you. This is Hud, by the way, in case you deleted me from your phone. He throws, tosses the phone down, and it starts ringing. He rushes to pick it up. Hello? Is this... Oh. Yeah? Yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm just a friend. I'll let his family know. Thank you. He hangs the phone up and slowly lowers his arm. He has become stiff, nearly robotic, numb. He goes and picks the script back up, flips the page, skims, then closes it and throws it back to the stack. Lights down. Scene two. Nighttime at the apartment. Hudson sits drinking from a beer. Sarah enters, beaming. We do have alcohol. Since when? Since today. Pass me one? In the fridge. I live with such gentlemen. She walks over and grabs a beer from the fridge, then sits beside him on the couch. What are you looking at? The empty wall where most people have a TV. How much are TVs? Good ones. Not too much if you're okay with the small one. We have phones. Those are basically like small TVs. Basically. You're enthusiastic. How'd the audition go? I got the part. And you talk about my enthusiasm. I'm not happy about it. Why? Doesn't, Doesn't every actress want the lead role? It wasn't even a competition. I'm the only one who made sense for the part. I I still don't see the bad in this story. All the theater girls come and go. They go off to colleges and performance art schools. One girl went to Harvard. 
Harvard to study theater. Her parents are paying $50,000 a month for her to read Shakespeare and get drunk in New England bars. But that girl's going to make something of herself. They all will. They're already one step closer than me. Where's Andy? I think we should go downtown, get a bowling game in or something. It's because we're not artists. I quit. Quit what? Where's Andy? All of it. Is there a reason you're avoiding the easiest question? Where is Andrew? Is he still at work? You never got to work. What? After you left, I got a call. And? He's in the hospital. What? What happened? He was walking to work and was hit by a car. Oh my God, we have to go visit him. I, I did. He's in surgery. Nothing we can do about it. I don't know what to say. When the hospital called me to tell, called me, they, they told me to let his family know what happened. And the only thing I could think of was how his family didn't talk to him. Oh, yeah. Because he wanted to be a writer and not a doctor. Yeah, I remember that. They're right. I'm sorry, what? They're right. His parents, he should have listened to them. You're drunk. No. I mean, yes, but hear me out at least. All ears. If Andrew had a real job, he probably would have had a car or at least some money to get a freaking lift. And he wouldn't have to walk all the way down to a place that pays him pennies. And he certainly wouldn't be living here. You talk as if he's dead. He could be. He could have died. Who knows what it could have happened? I, I don't. You don't. None of this would have happened if he had his head screwed on a little straighter. I don't believe that. He's talented. Yeah, everyone is nowadays. But sure, you're right. He, he, he was good at what he did. But, but where did it get him? Not any deals, not any meetings. It got him one grant and he used all the money to pay the rent we couldn't afford. Dude, where is all this coming from? Is this really about what happened to Andy? What else would it be about? I don't know. You getting dumped? Why do you even have to bring that up? Because it's the only thing you've been able to bring up for weeks. You lay in your blanket bunker. She told me I was lazy. She ate hot dogs with a fork. I don't know where you thought that was going to begin with. But she was right. I need to branch out before I end up callous. I am drowning in your negativity. I'm tired, aren't you? I know you are. You, you come in after getting the lead role in a play, and, but all you can do is complain about some kids who are doing the things you didn't. Sorry to be frank, people like that don't become actors and actresses. They become better parents who force their kids into beauty pageants and drama programs in order to live the life they could never achieve on their own. I cannot believe you're insinuating that I'm actually going to have kids. Never mind. You, you can't be serious for one second. I'm going for a walk. I am being serious. I seriously don't want kids. Whatever. You're serious. About being done with all this? Yeah, dead serious. Well, yeah, that, but I mean, you're seriously going to take a walk outside at night when our friend was hit by a car walking in the daylight? Maybe if it happens to me, you'll finally open your eyes and see that it isn't, it isn't worth it. You're weak. You don't mean that. I do. Only weak people quit. Weak people and people who don't actually love what they do. And you do? Love? Sarah, a year ago you would come in jumping for joy after nailing an audition. Sarah, a year before that, would buy a whole bar a round of drinks. That doesn't mean I don't love what I do. I might not always like it, but I've never stopped loving it. That's it right there. You hit the nail right on the head with the hammer. You don't love what you do because acting isn't what you do. It's a hobby. Do you get paid for it? No. Not yet. 
Good God. What, what, what is this yet that you've been waiting for? We're still young. Meaning there's still plenty of time to start over and try something new. All right, fine. What's your plan then? What happens after you push the restart button? I go back to school and do what I plan to do to begin with. Which was? Be a dentist. <laughs> oh, for real? Yeah, my dad was a dentist. There's never a shortage of dentists. They're, they're always needed. Guaranteed job. So is stripping, but you don't see me lining up at the door for that. Why can't you just support me on this? I don't believe it's what you really want. Just because someone stops wanting the same thing that you want doesn't make them not serious. I never said that. We live day to day right now. Check to check, hour to hour. We, lo- we look at our schedules and we beg our bosses to give us a few more hours just so we can have running water. That's not what artists are. You gotta see that. We do not have rich enough parents or pretentious trust funds and, and hate me, but I don't want to be 40 still killing roaches in my shower. I want a house, a, a TV. I'm not, I'm not a kid anymore. I can't do fairy tales. He walks over to the pile of scripts and picks up one from the top, the one he had been reading. You know what this is? It's one of Andy's scripts. It's a masterpiece. I read it twice today. The the guy's a genius. I never read it. Of course you didn't. Neither of us have ever touched this pile. We figured it was useless. But it's not. He has it. You know what else I read today? The 50 rejection letters from everyone around the world telling him that it's just not what they're looking for. You can't even get off your feet with a masterpiece. How the hell can you make it at all? Give it a read. He wrote parts for both of us in it. I'll read it later. Now take a look at it right now. I said I would. Now. Okay, okay. As a matter of fact, jump to the end. On that last page, read that. I don't understand. What am I reading? A happy ending. He had his legs crushed by a Honda and every single thing he wrote that had a happy ending. If you want out, you can have out. I can't give up. Not yet. And no, I don't know what the hell this mystical yet is, but I believe I'll know or when it comes. Until then, I'm going to keep trying. (laughs) Do you know that all my life, all I've ever been told is how I'm not good enough. And I've sat and I've listened to that crap over and over and over and over and over again since I was a kid and first decided that I wanted to live this life. Yes, I chose this life. And despite all the poppycock... Poppycock. Yes, you halfwit. You just take the SAT. I've never been good enough for anyone, for anything. But I keep trying because I'm supposed to be here. I get it. It's not the Hollywood story that I might have dreamed of, but... I'm meant to be doing this. How can you be so sure? Uh, when I was 18, a lot happened to me. A lot of things I wish I could forget. Didn't you get the lead in the spring musical? I almost died. Wait, what? You never told me about this. I never told anyone about it. What happened? Um, I grew up in a small town. Everybody knew everybody. Every kid grew up together. There was no going to a different school and getting a new life. We'd have to move to the next town for that to happen. And well, my daddy wasn't a dentist, so we stayed where we were. Of course, living in a small town also means that nobody really has any personal space. Everybody knows everyone's business. Everyone knows who works where, who's dating who, who's screwing who, and where they're doing it. Sounds interesting. Not at all. It was devastating. I wasn't popular at all. 
We barely had a drama department and the plays we did put on never attracted more than a few people, mostly parents who would rather be at home watching football than watching their daughter play a cactus. So when I was finally a senior, I was really excited because we were finally doing my favorite musical, Bye Bye Birdie. This was around the same time as prom. I was applying for all these colleges, researching auditions. I was starting to feel like a person, a person that mattered. That is until prom night. She clears her throat and grabs another beer from the fridge. What happened on prom night? Sarah? Like I said, everyone knew each other, and apparently I didn't listen close enough to everyone because I didn't think twice when the cutest guy in school asked me to prom. I thought things were just looking up for a little old me. Wrong. (laughs) So wrong. The night of prom, we all stuffed into this girl's car. Her name was Wendy. Never trust a bitch named Wendy. I can't even eat at Wendy's anymore. There was this bridge that you had to drive over to get to the school, and they said they wanted to stop, have a few drinks, smoke a little. I figured it was normal teenage stuff. I didn't really have friends. All I knew were the John Hughes movies, and I thought this was a total Molly Ringwald night. So wrong. So, so wrong. They threw me over. They threw me over the bridge into the water. They tried to kill me. Sounds like a cruel joke. And it would have been if I knew how to swim. I felt my whole life wash past me in that water. I couldn't do anything but try to breathe and wail my hands around like an idiot. Then I just accepted it. I closed my eyes and accepted it. And I sunk and drowned. Until I wasn't. I woke up in an emergency room. Apparently a boat was out looking for a dead body. Not mine, but some kid who had threatened to jump earlier that day. Ends up that kid was hiding under his bed, but thanks to his empty threat, I was saved. I decided from that day on, I meant to do my own thing. I meant to fight and fall and rise back up again. No hesitation. You can't drown me. I'm not giving up and I'm not giving in. You can go to your pity walk and dig in people's mouths for the rest of your life if that's really what you want. If that's what you really want. I gave up an offer to do Shakespeare in Minnesota after my sister had her first kid. Her boyfriend wasn't anything and I wanted to be a good guy. I remember that. You didn't seem too affected. Some nights I lay down and feel like it might have been the worst decision I ever made. What if it was my one shot? What if that was my destiny and I gave it away? In my experience, usually the shitty people win, so... Yeah, sure. If you had gone and played Brutus to some middle schoolers in Minnesota, you might be the next Tom Cruise, but you chose to be a good person instead. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'd rather be a good poor person than a heartless, guilty rich one. Right now, I'd rather be a rich anything. And that's why you feel like nothing. She pats him on the leg and turns to exit. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to visit my friend in the hospital. I'd rather be there so he can wake up and see someone he loves, something like a happy ending. I'll leave you alone so you can call your ex-girlfriend for the 60th time today. Wait, let me grab my jacket. Lights down. Scene three, the apartment the next week. The place has been cleaned up a great bit. A small house plant sits on top of the mini fridge. Three friends enter, Andrew on crutches. Are you two gonna be okay without me for the day? I don't see why not. What's up? Another audition. Way to go. Another local thing? Nope. I'm going equity, baby. Oh, look at little Miss Meryl Streep. I've done my community hours, and now it's time to put that training to the test and make a little dough in the process. Good luck. Can you pick up my prescription while you're out? 
one prescription note taken oh i almost forgot there's auditions this weekend a touring shakespeare company from minnesota apparently some of their old members didn't work out they're looking for new blood you serious catch you two later kill it till it's dead well i think i'm gonna lay down uh do you need anything yeah, I could use a whole lot of crack. Like a whole gallon of full, pure, good crack. What? <laughs> Are you? <laughs> Jesus, you're a sensitive, man. I'm good. I can manage. I still have both legs. Uh, actually, there's something you can do for me. What? Hand me my laptop. I had an idea for the next scene in the script while I was in the hospital, and it's been bothering me since. You're going to be great one day. You know that, right? No, I don't. He opens the laptop and gets to work. Hudson opens the fridge. Still empty. His phone starts ringing. He looks at it, puts it away. It continues ringing. Aren't you going to get that? Nah. I'll let them leave a voicemail. Who is it? Something I should probably keep in the past. Gotcha. Andrew goes back to typing. I'm sure you have an idea about how you're going to wrap everything up in your story. But can I ask a small favor? You want me to write you a part? Already done, bro. Thanks, um, but no. Use the word poppycock. Poppycock? Indeed. I'll keep that in mind. Oh, one more thing. Make sure it has a happy ending. There isn't enough of those. We could use a few more. I like that idea. Hudson gets down on the mattress and covers his body with the sheets. Andrew types on his laptop. Everything is just as it was in the beginning. One is working, one is dreaming, one is out. The stage lights go down. All we can see is the light of Andrew's laptop. His typing becomes like music. The end. So now we're going to have feedback for Chris. So we're going to basically just give him some things we saw, things we noticed, things we really liked, things we think could be expanded upon. So Sarah, do you have any things that popped out for you? Yeah, I love what it's about. And I love how you can see yourself in basically all the characters at certain points, especially from an artist's perspective. There is a part of you that wants to be Hudson and wants to have, you know, wants to be able to have some sort of security. But then, you know, there's also Sarah who is ready to do what she wants to do in life. And as Joseph Campbell said, you know, follow her bliss. And so I think that's really nice. And I love, you know, we could use more happy endings because I think sometimes in theater, people want to be so meta and so complicated, which is great sometimes. But then other times, you know, you do want a story that makes you feel good. Um in a story where, you know, you can relate to a character and you see that character have a successful story that inspires you. So, yeah, I really I really liked that. Mitchell. Yeah, I I really enjoyed how it actually did kind of have a scene two is kind of a bittersweet kind of ending, I think. And then with scene three, it actually added that happy ending when it brought Andrew back. And I thought that was really nice uh, tying into the whole Hudson Hudson suggesting a happy ending for this script, which I think was really nice. And I really enjoyed how you played with not giving the audience too much at one time. I think um, you did really well with the dissemination of information. And I think and leaving some things 
um, ambiguous. I think that the audience can interpret like the phone call at the end for Hudson. It could be the people from Minnesota, but it could be his ex. We don't know that it's not said. And I think that's really it's really nice when scripts, scripts, especially like today, like lots of people just give so much information. But when there's a little ambiguity that helps, like then the uh, director and the actors can make a decision. And I think that it allows that something that's something that happens a lot more in older plays that I think doesn't happen as much now. And I think you did a really well, really good job when it came to that. Yeah, I think it's about it's very clear. Nothing is like I don't understand what's going on. And some of the things where you have questions about, it's not like inappropriate, like place for questions, you know, like the places that felt like weren't filled it wasn't unsatisfying. It was just, okay, then I get to like help fill that part of the story. Um, And then I think also, just like Mitchell said, it does feel older because I think in modern theater, we try to be so complicated, but this is really about the story and about these relationships and about this specific moment in time. I think this, if I was you, I would submit this to a ton of one act competitions because I think it's perfect in that um well first it's a small cast which is you know what people look for and then also it it's very clear and it doesn't take up a lot of time like in space you know it's just this is this one night this is what's going on and then it kind of goes over to the next day but I can see high schools and colleges doing this for all kinds of you know one act festivals um, I can see this being a very successful script in that way. And I think it's really doable and accessible. And I think that anybody could do it anywhere. So, yeah. And I, I, I really enjoyed really, it was a really masterful use of humor to dissolve uh, some really heavy moments. Cause I think there were, there's a lot of heavy moments, but you were able to successfully uh, navigate the, the humor in it to not detract from the heaviness at all. But to give the audience a bit of like breathing room, I think, which is really nice and really I think it helped. like feels human in which, you know, when yeah. they're having these dark moments, one of them is going to crack a little joke here and then because they personally might feel a little awkward about it. So, yeah, it feels it feels very natural. It feels, you know, very grounded, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Was I would really good. I would seriously put this on. What's that site? Mm, Mitchell, what's New this play site? exchange? Yeah, is this on New Play Exchange? It is not, no. Well, I would get it up there when you can because I can just see people doing this because I think it's very accessible. Yeah. Um, yeah, really successful piece. Now we're going to head on over to our little interview section so then you can tell us in the audience more about your process. So this is our interview with the playwright. All right, Chris, what inspired you to write this piece? Um, well, it's kind of funny based off the notes that you guys gave me because this is a completely different piece than anything I think I've, I've ever written um, because I am the guy who nothing has a happy ending. Um, it either kind of cliffhangs or it's it's a sad ending or it's just kind of like, the way life is, you know, we don't always close like a, like a fairy tale. And actually, um, originally when I, when I wrote this, um, when it came to the phone call that he got at the beginning of the show, um, it was going to be 
them telling him that Andrew had died. <laughs> that was the original kind of thing. And then they would go off of their emotions based off of that event. Like, oh, he succeeded nothing in his short life and now he's gone. Um, and so that was going to be the basis for the rest of it. And I don't know what it was, but something told me maybe not kill the guy in this one. <laughs> let's let's keep the guy alive in this one. Um, and I do think it works better for it. But, you know, also this specific piece really came from, like you said, just being in the arts. And that's just it's more competitive than ever now because literally anyone can do it um, in any way. Uh, it, it's not like the quote unquote Hollywood story when it, you know, someone spots you in a cafe and says, you got the look or, you know, those things that you see in movies or, you know, you you walk into an audition and suddenly, you know, you have a contract with one studio and you're the biggest star on the planet. It's not like that now. Um, anyone can be famous. And a lot of times nowadays, the people who do find recognition and fame, the quickest at least, are the people who seem to put in the least amount of work possible. Um, me and a friend were like, you know what, if all else fails, we we should make a TikTok because those <laughs> kids, <laughs> if nothing happens until 30, like we are going to make a TikTok because those kids are making thousands of dollars mm -hmm. doing 10 second videos. Um, same with, you know, YouTubers and, and the vloggers and people like that. And people who just post on Instagram pictures of their butt and they get paid thousands upon thousands of dollars for one post. And then you're sitting here with something you've been working on for 10 years um, that no one wants to invest in. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's really different than it used to be. And it's really more complicated. And you really have to adjust your definition of success, I think. Um, because I feel like when we're young and we don't know anything, uh, we, we assume success means being rich, being famous, not being able to walk out your house because everybody wants to take a picture of you. When in reality, you know, I think once you reach a certain age, you go two paths. You either, you either go the path of that's not accessible. I'm going to do something tangible and real, um, which most people probably do. Or you go down the path of I don't need to have a million dollars and I don't need everybody to know my name. All I need to do is be able to make a decent enough living doing the thing I love, whether that is globally, whether that is nationally, or whether that is just in my city and in my town. But if I can pay the bills and keep the lights on by doing this thing that I love, then I am successful. If my family doesn't have to worry about me and ask, you know, if I have food in the fridge um, and I get to do that by doing the things that I love and enjoy, that is success. So I think it's, it's a deeper rabbit hole you can go down. Um, but yeah, I do think it's also humor in that. And, you know, being poor is fun sometimes. Um, it's kind of, you know, the whole rent thing of sometimes it's a party when you have nothing because you have nothing to lose. So you know, you, you talk to friends and you give them these crazy ideas and it's not, you can't really say no to it because it's not like you have money to lose. You only have things to gain. And so it's just throwing a, things out and hoping that, um, that one of them sticks. So, so yeah, I don't even know if that answered the question, but yeah. <laughs> I think it did. Yeah, it, really it did. did. Yeah. And I totally get that. Um, 
you know, having dark things that you write. My parents, when they started reading my plays, thought I was so depressed and thought that I hated the world because they never... Because for some reason I write plays about kids dying, um, and that's like my that's my subgenre. But uh, I, had the, I had the opposite problem. I was writing so many comedies, like he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then uh, what do you think was the hardest part of writing this play? Um, I think the hardest part about writing the play was main, you know, maintaining that kind of optimism. Um, and also balancing the different emotions as well. Um, because, you know, what I try to do more than anything is capture life. If I can capture a moment um, that feels authentic to someone, then, then I've succeeded. Uh, but those come with different levels of emotion. I've had conversations with people that are the most tragic kind of, you know, heart opening conversations. And it doesn't go like it's no music playing in the background it's no you know close-ups and and fancy edits in those conversations it's raw sometimes you say the wrong thing in response sometimes you don't understand what they're conveying sometimes they don't understand you sometimes what started as a conversation between two people becomes a fight between five um and and so it's just keen into okay what would be in this moment what would I say in this moment? Well, I would probably make a joke in this moment because I get uncomfortable when people trust me with information um, because I don't understand why they trust me with that information um, because I am the type of person who is like, I can't handle more shit than myself going on right now. Um, so it's just catch, you know, trying to authentically capture those moments and, and also not, like you said, you, like Mitchell said, give away too much at once. You don't want to suffocate. You want you sometimes want them to feel uncomfortable, the audience. You want them to feel uneasy. You want them to feel like they're watching something they shouldn't be or that they're eavesdropping onto a conversation that isn't theirs. But you don't want them to get too much and say, oh, I have to leave because it has gotten to a point where I can't handle what is going on in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. When did you write this play? I just want to ask. I wrote this play, I would say, very beginning of this whole time um, or close to the beginning of it. Yeah, I think I think there's just been I think there's been like a shift towards more optimism, I think, in the the, um, in the wake of everything in this whole covid times i think that i i think i could see i could kind of see that with the writing that i was like this this optimism i think is something that feel it feels like it is a reaction to this to this like really dark times that we're living in i think i did i think finding that like humanity and the optimism i think was very um i think i noticed it very much it's something of the times i think is really good really interesting and here's the thing i am not at all concerned about the future of theater at all i i am completely i'm not even gonna say optimistic i'm 100 sure that it will come a day maybe yeah, in 2025 when the stages open back up theater is the oldest art form for a reason mm-hmm. um we have survived plagues before um and theater has come back and, and is still you know people are still going to see phantom for some fucking reason so <laughs> I, I have i have i have no doubt that that you know 
these things will shift and we'll get back out there. And we've even learned how to adjust to, you know, the screens like this. So, so yeah, in theaters, always optimism. I'm sure I have no doubt that we'll be back at it eventually. Yeah. And, you know, I think so many theater artists are, you know, scared or, you know, did I do the right thing? And I think that also goes to what you said earlier in the play, uh, you know, what kind of life do you want to live? And, you know, where are your priorities? I know when I was kind of choosing my paths, you know, obviously theater, playwriting, that's scary because, you know, you don't, you don't have any job security right when you come out. But my dad told me, you know, even if you're a teacher, something terrible could happen and you could lose your job. So, you know, there's not really any security in anything. So might as well do something that's worth doing. Um, and I think a lot of people are finding that out in quarantine and during pandemic and everything is just, you know, you got to do something that you feel is good and that you feel puts something else good out into the universe. So and I think you really touch on that in this play, which is really nice. Um, and with that, what do you want audiences to take away from this play? Um, I want them to look both sides before they cross the street. Um, because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but, but I, I really think that this is a testament to the arts and just, if you want to do it, do it at the best of your ability. There will be, you know, people who succeed and get noticed when they're 25. And there are those who won't succeed and get noticed until they're 55. But that doesn't mean that you should stop because you're not gaining the immediate. I feel like we're so obsessed nowadays with instant gratification because everything is at our disposal now. So, you know, if we want to watch a movie, we don't have to wait until the theaters open back up. We just, we take our phones or our laptops or, our, you know, smart TVs and we watch it. We can get anything given to us, basically. And so we expect that with everything. We expect people to automatically respect and love us and, recognize our greatness. Um, but it's not always like that, especially in this business and especially in a business where there are millions of people who want to do the exact same thing. And there's at least 500 people who do it a lot better than you. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do instead of complaining about, um, man, what am I going to do with my life? Do I need to change fields? You can, and maybe that will be the financially smart decision to do. Um, but also think about while I'm complaining, what is someone else doing? You know, I'm a basketball guy and I think it was a Michael Jordan quote or something. And he's like, anytime I'm not practicing, I get up and start practicing because I know there's some other athlete out there who is doing layups. If I'm doing it for six hours, he's doing it for 10 hours. And so, you know, that goes for the arts too. If you're not doing vocal lessons or if you're not, you know, keep maintaining your voice or doing some kind of training or reading monologues, and if you're a writer and you're not reading other people's plays or uh, writing your own until they're satisfactory to you and you're, you know, someone else is doing it. Someone is spending 24 hours of their day getting ahead of you. So, you know, you have a choice. You can sit stagnant and wait for people to notice you, which is unlikely, or you can literally 
going back to suffocation, you can suffocate them with the amount of work you're doing. You can make them notice you, which is literally what I've done during quarantine. Mm -hmm. I have emailed and harassed people like you guys saying, (laughs) hey, I know you don't know me. And I know we've never met and we might never meet again, but here's this thing I wrote. Okay, bye. And, you know, I I have nothing else to do but be on my computer. I can watch YouTube all day, which sometimes I do. Or I can say, who can I stalk today and who can I send things to? Uh, Because I know if I send a thousand things out, one person's going to reply and say, okay, let's talk about it a little more. Because we're all in this strange kind of twilight zone where we all are just living through our screens. So if I talk to a theater in New York City, I don't have to fly out to a meeting to see them. I get out of bed. I sometimes put pants on and I, and I, can, and I put on my phone and I sign into the meeting. Um, and, and, and that's how it is. So, you know, when this whole thing happened, my immediate reaction wasn't, I'll wait till this is over to get back to work. It was, okay, I'm not going to be performing in any of these shows I had scheduled. I'm not going to have any staged readings of anything that was scheduled. What can I do right now? Oh, I can say, listen, you're virtual. I'm virtual. Let's be virtual together. Let's make this virtual relationship. And it's creating marriages. And it's all those ideas that I'm going really heavy on the romantic metaphors. But it's all those um, those ideas that you were pregnant with before that you were like, it's no way I can get these out um, to the public that now you can even if you don't have a theater on your side, you can contact actors and actresses from around the globe and say, hey, I have this show. Um, I want to do it virtually. Uh, whatever time this is in your time zone, let's do it. So I think at the end of the day, I want people to take away that nothing is impossible, especially nowadays. You can literally start a theater company on your phone and people will come see it because no one else has anything else to do. So make them notice you, make them see you so that when the stages do open back up and the theaters do open back up, you're already on the contact list and you're already in people's head. And they say, this guy was reliable. We had nothing. Um, we're not going to pay them because they don't, but, but we're going to keep them in mind. And I think he could one day maybe help us all get paid. And so just always, and I guess it goes back to optimism. Look ahead. I have this kind of, thing that's like written down, I say, okay, I'm going to be the youngest playwright with a show on Broadway. The youngest is 29. It was Lorraine Hansberry with The Raisin of the Sun. She was 29 years old. I said, okay, I'm 21. I have eight years to beat Lorraine. Will I? Who the hell knows? I don't know. I might. Most likely won't, but I might. And so if I'm 20, so I'm like, okay, I have to get on Broadway by 28 and a half. I'm not going to get there by waiting for Audrey McDonald to read my direct message because it's <laughs> not going to happen. What I can do is I can send all the emails I can. I can write my ass off um, and write a script a week uh, and I can send those out to people. And I might not have the quote unquote Hollywood story or New York story, but I'm going to, you know, my favorite rappers are the people who passed out mixtapes in front of Walgreens. And that's what they did to get noticed. And this has become a motivational speech and not an answer to a question. So I'm going <laughs> to shut up now. But yeah, that's my point. 
It's one that somebody needed to hear, though. Yeah. You know, I need to hear that. I'm like, damn, I'm lazy. I like, um, I like Let's Be Virtual together. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great slogan. All right. And then Mitchell, you got a game? Yes, I do have a game. And this game is called. So <laughs> because the character of Sarah in The Hollywood Story um, auditions and gets the role of Blanche and. Uh, in a streetcar named Desire, I had uh, the idea of taking quotes from the American Film Institute's top 100 movie quotes and replacing one word in each one with Stella. So that's what this game is about. This game, you're going to guess from the top 100 quotes, which movie I am quoting, and I'm going to be replacing one word with Stella. It'll be easier than it sounds. Because they're like the top 100 movies, so it's they're pretty easy. It's like if I said, here's Stella, you'd say... Shining. Shining, yeah. That was a hard example, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that could have been anything. That could have been anything. <laughs> I just realized that just was... Like that's like presenting a, very, a person. <laughs> that's, yeah. Could have been like, here's Shining. Yeah, so that would be an example. So, and you get a bonus point if you can say what the word is that I'm replacing. But anyway... All right. Ready? Question one. I'm sorry, Stella. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is a weird game, Mitchell. This is a weird game. (laughs) (laughs) I think the rest are easier. The rest are easier. If you don't know. Do we have clues? Can we ask for clues? Yes, you can ask for clues. Like, you can ask for director. (laughs) Okay. Director. Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Can you say the quote again? I'm sorry, Stella. I'm afraid I can't do that. One word is replaced by Stella. Is that Clockwork Orange? It is 2001 A Space Odyssey. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm I love that. That has dialogue in it? It, <laughs> yeah, with that like eleven minute sequence of just you know the goes, little cubies passing. Goes, I'll open the pod bay doors. It goes on for like a couple yeah. minutes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Question two. Stella's gonna need a bigger boat. Jaws. Yeah. And the word I replaced. You really did the hardest. We are gonna this. need a bigger boat. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did use the hardest one first because honestly it was the first one I thought of and I was like oh I got it. Why was that the first one you thought I don't know. Okay. Like, <laughs> that's what a space odyssey. It's old and iconic. Okay. Question three. Stella's looking at you kid. Yeah, I would the director? be out too. I would not know that. <laughs> Who's the director? Oh my god I don't even remember who the director is of this one. <laughs> well Mitchell. It's 1942. 1942. That's still not the director. 1940. Is that Casablanca? Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> I needed. I should have looked that up. This next one, you'll be fine. Next All one, right. you're gonna get. I guarantee. I, apparently, I paced these out hard, easy, hard. Stella, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> uh, the Wizard of Oz. Yes. Which Mitchell was in last year and as played, was Sarah. And played uh, the wizard himself. And Sarah played Wow. Panda, so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Question, final question. Question five. Okay. Nobody puts Stella in the corner. 
Oh, come on. <laughs> dancing. Yes. Oh, no. Now I want that. Now that would be a good musical. Dirty. Isn't that already Is a musical? Is it not already a musical? Is it? Is it not? I think so. Here, let me look. I'm pretty sure Dirty Dancing the Musical is a musical. They already um, have, they already have I haven't classic heard it. songs. I've had the time of my life. Dirty Dancing. Is it a musical? Yep. Is it like yeah, it a is. real musical or like one that somebody mm. wrote and put on? It might YouTube? not be like the realest real. It looks like it was in Europe. That makes sense. That makes sense. That does make sense. European musicals tend to be that kind of genre. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. All right. So that was Stella with Chris. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. Tell us where can people find you on Instagram or, you know, do you have a website? Where can people check you out? Tell the people where they can tell you how amazing you are. <laughs> if that happens, that would, I would be dead. Um, I, you can, I do not have a website yet. I am in the process of finding someone who will do that for free. Um, but I do have an Instagram, which I'm on much too often. And it is at Chris Eli Black. That is Chris without the H and Black without the C because grammar. So yeah, <laughs> that's where I can be found mostly. All right, so make sure you go check Chris out. This was his play, A Hollywood Story. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Bye, Chris. Thank you so much. So that was The Hollywood Story with Chris Eli Black. We're so grateful to have him. It was a great time. Now we want to say that if you have a script that you've been working on, you have piling up in your room Send it to us. We'd love to read it, and we'd love to uh, give it a... uh, Piling up in your... Room. Room. (laughs) (laughs) We'd love to give it a read, and we'd love to do it here on the Playout Repertory podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Mitchell's earbud just, like, fell out of his ear in, like, a really funny way. I think they're in the wrong ears, but anyway. (laughs) If you have a script, we would love to read it. You know, like Chris was saying... You know, Pester get ass. off your ass. Like, do what you need to do. It's a hustle, you know? Send us um, 60 scripts. Yeah, send do us it, as many scripts you want. If you have submitted a script already, we are currently in the process of getting back to you. And we'll you'll hear from us soon. Correct. And if you have any ideas for any mini episodes, anything you'd like to talk about. If you have something niche, even if it's something not that niche, but if there is something that you would like to talk about, whether it's... I don't know, puppetry or dramaturgy. dramaturgy. Come on. We would love to talk to you, even if you think it's the weirdest thing that nobody knows about in the world, but it's theater related. Come on down. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah, we would love to talk with you. If you've got a few friends that, you know, your group, your theater group, and you want to talk about forming your own theater group, come on down. We want to, we really want to, you know, we are open to everything and anything. So message us talk to us bug us if we don't respond yeah yeah so this is episode 14 which means there are 13 spooky sounds spooky sounds spooky sounds episodes before this so if you want to listen to those you can find them anywhere you find podcasts really find them on spotify google podcast apple podcast drum roll please we're not sponsored 
yet. Hit us up, Stitcher. We're on so many platforms. You can find us anywhere. I mean, if you're listening, you probably already found us. So Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, find us. Give us a listen. We have 13 episodes before this. They're all great. And Mitchell, any final thoughts? In this crazy COVID quarantine time, to quote Chris, let's be virtual together. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.